stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Welcome to the podcast that provides alternative motorsport. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I am your host, Mr. Andre Harrison, and with me as always is Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) The world's most subtle hello from our regular panelists there. And uh, and in the other corner, we have, well, he's staying on the furniture. He's he's stuck around for another week. He hasn't got a job yet, bless him. It's Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. Um, I just want to... Thank you all for coming, and I would like to be the first to welcome you all to episode 73 of the Motorsport 101 podcast, where we are debuting our brand new, innovative, segment-based episode format. We trust us, once you once you listen to the episode and you see how it works in action, uh, we think you'll really like it. We've just divided the episode into segments and we're going to give out mm. points at the end of each segment for how <laughs> long you could stand to listen to this crap. <laughs> it's never been done before. I don't know how anybody hasn't thought of this yet. <laughs> but here we are. Yep, he's ab- annoyingly, RJ, to a degree, is absolutely right out- outside of the point scoring. I'll leave that to Tony Riali and my old show around the corner. Anyway... In the meantime, we can catch us all on the social medias and whatnot. We are on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We are on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We are on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And our personal Twitters are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, and RJ O'Connell for RJ. And Johnson's coming back soon, and he's at AJ underscore Bomber Sports. And if you really, really like us, why not back us on Patreon? Give us money! Give us, give us money to pay for our shit. Uh, it's, it's, it's at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. I must have stuttered a forward slash. That's terrible of me. Um, now, honestly, on this edition, like, like we normally tease about how this show ends up having stacked running, like stacked run-ins. This one is ridiculous. RJ Blessing wrote the whole thing out. It was almost like 300 words long for a set list, and it's just like... Well, let's just say we were originally going to record this show yesterday, um, as in January 23rd, the Monday, uh, as, as you listen to this, and thank God we didn't, because literally it would have happened as we were recording, but um, the main event segment, you'll see why in a minute, um, as to why that is, is Bernie Eccleston is out as the CEO of Formula One. He is done. It has finally happened. Like, the, the, like it's, it's finally started snowing in hell as we speak. Bernie is done. Also, Valtteri Bottas finally, officially confirmed at Mercedes-AMG as the Nico Rosberg replacement, a.k.a. the worst-kept secret in all of Formula One, <laughs> basically, at this point. Um, we'll talk about the race of champions and, uh, basically, Vettel versus the world. We'll talk about the Monte Carlo rally and how it was, basically, not the best start for a new era of world rally. And we'll be previewing the Rolex 24 at Daytona, and we've all caught the bug over here. It's going to be lit. Yeah, I, I, we cannot wait for this this weekend. It's going to be awesome. So we'll be previewing all of that and inevitably a lot more on this episode of Motorsport 101, but let's get right into it as we talk the end of an era. Goodbye, Bernie. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, I never thought we'd see this day. Uh, honestly, I thought he was going to die, and that's how we, 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 we'd, we'd, we'd finally have the like, like, like Bernie's in his what? Is like, isn't he like in his like late eighties now? Yeah, like, eighty-six. You yeah, underestimate like, the man's ability to just make himself like Richard Nixon in Futurama and just live on as a floating <laughs> head in a jar for thousands of generations in the future. He's basically Mr. Burns. He's got like every disease, like imaginable all at once tried to push through the door of his veins like in the episode of the simpsons but he basically thinks he's indestructible because none of them can kill him it's amazing but um yeah bernie eccleston well liberty media have taken have completed their 6.4 billion pound takeover of formula one as a sport as we know it and one of the first official moves they have done is that chase carey is now ceo of Formula One management, and that means Bernie is going to be out as CEO. He's not completely done. I think he's going to be king. I think it's an American term here. Um, what's the technical term here? I, I, I'm terrible with pronunciations. He, he's um, uh, oh god, uh, chairman emeritus. Yes, that's the one. I'm sure it's Latin for something really fancy. <laughs> he's basically like an honorary chairman. He doesn't. Re- he's there as only as an advisor. So basically what his old job was then. (laughs) No, not really. Not like his old job at all. I'm joking, okay? It's like, we'll get to that later, given what Bernie was actually doing in Formula One lately, but um, in in regards to his general overall role in the show. But it's, I mean, props to Tobias Gruner of um, AMUS in Germany. He was the first guy to break it. It was about, I think it was about 6 p.m. on Monday. British time, as we heard the news, uh, you know, Chase and his magnificent moustache has taken over as as, as head CEO. And um, my, like, I don't know about you guys, but the reaction on my timeline was incredible, to say the least. Like, all the jokes came out. Like, WTF1 had a field day with this. Memes were made. More references made about Chase Carey's stash. Um, you name it, it was made. And, like... I was more of the guys like Lee McKenzie and Elusive Kev on Twitter, where I was like, I was just kind of in two minds about the whole thing so much. I mean, King, vent as long as you like. I mean, how did you feel about it when it was finally announced? Oh, when it was announced, it was certainly an event. I I can't say it was good. (laughs) I can't say it was bad. The internet certainly seemed like it was a great event. Like, like... Rose Pierre finally got sent to the guillotine and the reign of terror is over. That kind of, it was, it felt to the internet like it was that good. While I felt like it was a certainly event, don't know if it was good or bad, we're gonna have to really wait and see. Yeah, exactly. For me, for me, it was like that episode of Game of Thrones where the Red Wedding takes place on Twitter because it happened live on, on UK Twitter. Everybody went crazy. It was that kind of shit right there. And, um,. Yeah, I, I just don't know, man. It was it's, it's like I'm trying to think of the best way of wording this, and for me, it's like Bernie's legacy is incredible for Formula One. There is absolutely no denying that, um, and I think that's why I'm in two minds because on one end, I think it's fair to say that Bernie is a figurehead as the probably like the most visual quote-unquote leader in the sport i think his time had come and gone for a few years now but on the other side of it like he has done so much he's probably the the biggest responsibility for formula one being what it is today 
And I'm not going to lose sight of that just because his last few years were terrible. Um, at least that's the impression I get. I mean, that's that's where my gut. That's what my gut is telling me right now. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, RJ, but that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. No, that's in, that's entirely fair, and I think a, I think a lot of people deep down will feel the same way. I think, I think mostly, I think pe- what sticks in people's mind is just some of the some of the bad decisions that have been signed off by Bernie Ecclestone mm. within at least the 21st century. You know, we have yeah. stories popping up every day about how historic longtime venues are being gouged for every cent that they may or may not have just mm. to stay on the calendar the balance of pay for teams between the manufacturers and the smaller teams is out of control. And of course there are so many, there are so many other ways that formula one has gotten completely out of hand uh, specifically from the business side of things. Um, Of course, until from 2019 until 2024 formula one in the UK is going to be behind a sky high, ludicrously expensive paywall that is exclusive to sky sports. Mm -hmm. Um, None of these really um, line up with the spirit of Bernie Ecclestone as the privateer racer from the 50s who eventually became team owner at Brabham and who eventually went on to make Formula One as we know it. Mm. Yeah, it's absolutely fair to say. And yeah, I think that's the problem. I think it's a generational thing to a degree because if you're a more modern day F1 fan that that doesn't pay too much attention to the past... You'll look at Bernie as like this, almost like this Darth Vader kind of figure doing things that you don't like. And whereas, if you look, if you dig a little bit deeper, you realise, wait, he's had a massive influence on on Formula One as a sport and how we got to this point now. And yeah, I mean, this sport's got fundamental problems, and we've talked about it on many an episode of this show. But I think people celebrating Bernie's departure, I think, also need to realise that. Like, Bernie may have signed off on some things here and there, but the fundamental balance of power in Formula One is completely messed up right now. And that's mostly down to the factory teams, the manufacturers, and the strategy group more so than Bernie himself. Because it's it almost gets the, the vibe that the inmates are running the asylum right now. And I'm not entirely sure that you know necessarily that getting rid of bernie is going to magically make everything better like there is no guarantee that chase carey is going to immediately make this better but i have to also admit some of the things they're talking about from the liberty media standpoint are promising to a degree um yeah i can i can bring up some of the points that chase carey has made um he wants that Chase Carey and Liberty Media want to protect the historic races. They see Europe as the foundation of the sport. They want yeah. to expand, and they particularly have an eye on making new events in the United States because there mm. are certainly a lot of not just permanent road courses in the United States that can make great Formula One venues, but also the the potential value in a street race in a major city like the New York race that Bernie Ecclestone always wanted but could never get, perhaps a race in in Los Angeles. Um, Something like that could be huge. They they also want to make much more of the promotion of F1 itself, its participants, the individual events. They want F1 events to be like a festival-type atmosphere. I think the quote was like they wanted to have 21 Super Bowls in a year around the world is what they were aiming for. 
Good luck, China. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm sure they'll be, I'm sure like, be if, down for that. If you know anything about the Super Bowl, it's more than just the game itself on the day of. of. Like any NFL fan knows that it's a Super Bowl week. That in every host city that they have a week long free convention for fans who don't even have a ticket to the game can show up to go to autograph sessions for free and meet former and past players. Like like similarly similarly like the WWE has done this with like WrestleMania access mm-hmm. for in WrestleMania week and. Formula One doesn't really have that. You you always need a ticket to the event to have access to anything. Yeah, shout out to our shout out to our crew, Lizzie and Lizzie and uh, Sarah for talking about having to queue for four hours to get to an autograph session for tickets they've already paid for at Cota. So yeah, I can see where they're coming from. I mean, the whole festival vibe. I mean, anyone playing Forza Horizon lately? <laughs> I guess that'd be that'd be pretty sick. I can't lie. Um, I mean, it's it's certainly ambitious, and I like ambitious because um, honestly, like on this show, I'm trying hard in 2017 to not be quite so cynical. <laughs> like, I'm I'm trying to turn over a new leaf, King. Would you believe it? Like, like I I, I want to be optimistic this year. I really do, but it's like, <laughs> like I'm not so sure. It's, it's, it's not so sure it's going to work out in the long run. But yeah, I, I mean, but I mean. Like, from what I see, like, if I really had to compare Bernie to anyone else, I'd probably compare him to Vince McMahon. <laughs> Where how, in mm. the early days, it's easy to see why people called him a genius, but today it's very highly questionable to to say that. Like, when Bernie took over F1, you, would, you wouldn't even say that Formula 1 could even be called a championship based on how it was run. Because mm. it wasn't... The way, the way that money was paid out for races... The, the race promoters had to pay the teams themselves based off wow. of the tickets they made at the gates. Like, there wasn't really a championship prize other than the trophy itself. There was no prize money for winning the Formula 1 championship. The prize money was from winning individual races. And Bernie really centralized things because there was no TV contract money before that. TV rights didn't exist. He bought up all the rights and made them... Like, he, he knew that it was going to be valuable to sell as a package deal, where he didn't... Like, I think before the 90... Before the 76 season, uh, I think the BBC only had, like, the contract to the British Grand Prix and maybe, like, Monaco and, like, a handful of other races. Like, year, like they decided what races they actually wanted. They never actually carried the full season. Because right. this, the TV rights of Formula 1 were never sold as an entire package until Bernie had bought the contracts to all the races and combined them into one package so TV broadcasters had to broadcast every race if they wanted to carry Formula 1. Uh, if you want F1, you want the whole shebang. Like, I'm sorry, you, you're, you're, you're buying this South African Grand Prix whether you want it or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, again, it's those little things like that. And if, if anything... That's like the two sides of Bernie right there, because on one side he put it into this package and got F1 on, on, on national television in the UK and obviously all around the world generated this global audience at one point over half a billion people. Uh, but also it was that last clinging onto the television rights and throwing everything into the same package. Now that could be seen as a criticism because we, we're seeing it now where F1's audience is dwindling not so much because of the sport but also because of the transition into pay tv that we're seeing now in places like france china and obviously the united kingdom which is going to be carrying f1 behind the paywall exclusively in two seasons time so 
again, it's it's like that. It's like that two sides of Bernie, the other sides of the coin coming into play here. Where on one side, again, he got F one to a point where it was sustainable and got it, and you know made it the big time sport that it is now. But on the other side, he could now be doing more harm than good in some of his actions and 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 some of his negotiations that are going on now, especially from a digital standpoint, which is something I know Liberty wants to focus on a lot. But um, the possibility of streaming is there. I know that. Um, Friend of the show, fifty bucks was talking about this last night, and we all know he has totally legal means of <laughs> bor- bor- borrowing motorsport coverage. Um, and he was obviously very excited about the prospect of you know F one in four K, but also the fact that Liberty's got prolific sports streamers on under their under their wing. So that could be another interesting element. But again, it could be very well behind the paywall, like with the NFL Game Pass or NBA's League Pass, etc. So, I but mean, I mean, we, mm. I. The fact that, like, with the league pass and things like that, it's, like, it's a, it's a easily, it's, like, it's an easy paywall to surpass. It's, it's not, like, getting a Sky Sports package where you, where you, where you have to make that kind of commitment. Like, mm. if, if you're getting a league pass, you know it's going to be on your laptop and you know exactly how much it's going to cost. Just same thing like MotoGP does it. Uh, Australian like Australian Supercars does it. They they mm. offer like for their diehard fans, to not for the casual fan or like the people who only are gonna watch only on Sundays. There's gonna be people who are gonna be watching every single game or in Formula One sense every single session. And for them, getting a video pass like that would be a great thing. Absolutely, and I look. I've said it before. I would pay money for an F1 subscription service like that. I'd have no problem paying that. I'd love to have F1 as a media entity that is easily accessible. Again, like like many services like the Amazon videos and the Netflixes of the world now, where they're on all sorts of devices from games consoles, smart TVs, PCs, laptops, phones, you name it. That would be incredible. But you know, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But. I mean, Bernie never really even wanted to touch upon the potential of the internet. He was too busy throwing the sport under the bus, saying, oh, we're for the Rolex owners of the world, <laughs> which is the exact kind of impression that I think Formula One would probably be better off trying to avoid in 2017 as a rich, as a rich old white man's playground, which is basically yeah. what Formula One is anyway. But Because, like, you, you... <laughs> strangely enough, like, today, that's out of date. In the 70s, that's what Formula One needed, because... Before mm, that, absolutely. like in this, like before Bernie, like Formula One was seen sort of like how NASCAR is seen in the states today. People only go there for like the crashes and the and, and like the crashes and the and the deaths. Like if I, I'm pretty sure we're gonna get to it in Movie Club, but uh, Grand Prix the film, which is bait, like it's a fictional version of the 1966 season. But mm. you could, because it was made in 1966, you can kind of see how the casual fan viewed Formula One and why the fans were going to the races. And it was not for wheel-to-wheel racing action. Ooh, someone might die. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus, God. we were so morbid back then. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. Honestly, given how NASCAR is perceived in 2017, we really haven't moved on that far as a species. Let's be real here. But, um, yeah... But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is it is a cultural shift, and like again, the same things that made Formula One what it is is now quickly becoming out of date. And you know, look at us, yeah. we're free twenty somethings on a on a podcast. We're going to put it on the internet, talking about a sport which still I think kind of seems somewhat antiquated. 
right, right now. And, I, and again, Bernie, I think, is somewhat responsible for that to a degree. And he's the guy that should probably have his finger on the pulse as to how you know as to how media is consumed. And this is a guy that was ignorant of social media. Period. For example, I mean, look, Formula One didn't have an official Facebook page until March of last year. That should tell you all you yeah. need to know about the state of Formula One from an internet standpoint. Like, it's, it's Twitter suddenly burst into life like after Singapore 2015, and we didn't have a Facebook page until the start of last season. And it's still playing catch-up now. I mean, it's getting there. I mean, its YouTube page is getting better by the month, and to be, to be fair, the guys that are running it are doing a pretty solid job where that's concerned. But They did a good job of cashing in on the big wave of tobacco money that flowed in in, like, the 70s and 80s. Mm. And even still, now that it's been legislated pretty much out of the sport for about a decade, um, they, they've still had trouble finding ways to fill that gap in disposable sponsor income, even with companies like Rolex and Heineken and DHL and Red Bull coming in. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, that, again, like that that's the future right there. We, we need more big brands being involved. Can we, can we just have Red Bull buy the whole thing instead? <laughs> No. Well, yeah. it, it almost happened. It if almost else, like, happened. Yeah, it almost happened. Yeah, they the decided Re- the Red Bull Formula they decided One to get, Series. Yeah, they decided to just, you know, see what they could do with the World Rally Championship instead. They're now, what I stop. find interesting about this is that it's that we're making a big deal about how Chase Carey has, has ultimately replaced Bernie Eccleston, but it's, it's not just a one-person job that's coming no. in to lead this new leadership because they've also brought in Sean Bratch's former... ESPN media executive to kind of oversee the media rights side of Formula One. Mm -hmm. And they have also brought in to lead the sporting and technical side of the sport from here on out. You may know him as the overseer of the the great Ferrari dynasty of the early 2000s. Ross Braun is going to oversee the sports, the sporting side of Formula One. And I think no matter how you feel about the change of ownership from Bernie to Chase, I think that's the one key point in this huge shift of leadership that i think everyone has been positive about glorious no i won't give no sorry um yeah i I must admit i like over over the years if there's one thing i've come to to the conclusion of in formula one is that ross braun is about as safe a pair as hands you could possibly have in formula one even now one thing sorry to interrupt you but one thing i i don't understand is why do people think Ross Braun will be a good leader? Yes, he he knows a lot about designing race cars, and he knows a lot about how to design championship-winning race cars. Nothing gives me the impression that Ross Braun could design a competitive rule book. It is true, but I think it's because of that casual fan image. Oh, Ross Braun was amazing as a team boss. He was amazing at Braun, he was amazing at Mercedes until 2013 when they booted him out of the door. But, uh, like, you know what? It's because Ross Braun is successful. And, it, like, if America is anything to go by recently, they do like a winner. <laughs> they do if, like if, if I take one thing is that his, his initial quotes to the BBC um, certainly, certainly breed some optimism that he says... He know, they know what their fans want. They want entertainment. They want close racing. They want to be able to understand what's going on. And yeah. Ross Braun, he knows everybody agrees on that. It's yeah. finding the path with all the other teams and the other people involved in the sport to achieve that. Ross Braun is somebody who wants to stress simplicity in the rules because 
as we've mentioned several times on the show, sometimes the rules are a bit convoluted. They're they're a bit of a, a mess. Bit. Yeah, <laughs> just a bit. That's the understatement of the year. And I think they've made the point of wanting to go see events this year to see how the racing is going to be because we have our questions about whether or not the actual racing product in 2017 is going to be good. We know the cars are going to be a lot spectacular, but how will they race side by side? But I do it's, feel yeah. like it is a it is a long term deal. Like you don't mm. like if something's happened. Like if there's problems in like a sporting team, it's not just something you can blow up and fits overnight. It often no. takes years to turn around, and that's gonna be the same for Formula Ones who really get this new vision of the sport and what they want it to be to kick into effect. Absolutely, and. I think King's got a point. I mean, there is no guarantee Ross Broad is going to be this amazing leader. I think, as as I mentioned, I think people like a winner. And I think Ross Broad is one of those very few guys in F1 that hasn't really pissed anybody off. Right. Yeah, we all he, thought that John Tott was going to be a very effective president in the FIA because he was a winner <coughs> at Ferrari. Um, it turns out that he is mm, not... Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, sorry about that. My cough kicked back in there for a second. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think... Because I think because people have seen Ross be successful as a team principal, and as and as an overall figure in F one, you know, as from business savvy to you know buy the what was left of Honda, turn it into a championship winner, and then sell up and move on. And you know, we, we've seen Braun and we've associated him with success for the best part of fifteen twenty years now in F one, and I think that's the reason why people are so thumbs up with Ross Braun because he's not really put a foot wrong in the eyes of the average fan. So I think that's the reason why they're all optimistic about him. But I will admit, and this is something that did came into my head this morning, and I don't know if King will back me up on this one. I want to see what your take is on, is on this one, King. But is it just me? Or is Braun being a little bit naive about the whole simplicity and trying to dumb down the rules and trying to make the sport closer and competitive when we're dealing with a bunch of manufacturers that don't want to give up their slice? Yes, pretty naive to think that Ferrari would just let him change the rules like that. Oh, no, no. We're, we're going to give more teams to the bottom, guys. Ferrari will be totally okay with this. <laughs> no. No. I, I think Braun's being naive here. And this is a guy that, you know, hasn't really dealt with... The, like, he's not been directly involved in Formula 1 for four years now since he, since he moved on from Mercedes at the end of the 2013 season. And... If, if anything we can point to to just how crazy Formula 1 has been in the last couple of years it's you, you point at the strategy group yeah. and you point to things like the qualifying fiasco of last season oh god that, that wasn't fun to bring back up in back, back a couple of episodes ago but that's where most of the crazy points to and let's be real here we, we, I mean we're banning this on the podcast this year but talking about the higher ranking principles just basically making shit up week to week um Saying, oh, F1 needs to be more like this. Or we need Grand Prix at this time of day. Or we we think Formula 1 should be more like this. And you get the, you hear the stories about how Mercedes are running at 90, at 90 million pound losses year to year. But it doesn't matter because they can afford to run at a loss. And little things like that that go on. And yeah, I think, like, I, I love Ross's optimism. But we're dealing with a bunch of factories that in no way want to give up what's theirs. And... The, the way the sport has been calibrated in recent times has lent towards the bigger teams having the money, having the funding. You name it, they've had it. And that's where I feel like the biggest hurdle is going to be in F1 is that how are you going to get the teams to agree on something like this, especially the big ones 
who are going to be compromised if if their vision is what they want F1 to be. <sighs> feel free to chip in on this one, you guys. You know, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... No, you're you're right. Um, if if Bernie, Max, and the teams couldn't get together with a stra- with a salary cap back in 2010, um, I I can kind of see why people are not as optimistic that they can get it done sometime in the next couple of years. And they've said that, they've said that they want to work with the teams to get a salary cap together and to work with solutions with the teams and with the strategy group and whoever it may be to try an exact change in the sport. Um, I want to hope that they can get it done. I want to hope that we have leadership that doesn't just run off of provocative sound bites, as Bernie was known to do, especially in the later years of his career. Um, I want this. I want this to work out. I think we all want this to work out. Yes. But, but, of course. but there are logistical pratfalls that may keep this from happening, and of course in course now there's not bernie to blame in case things go tits up now you gotta blame ross we need a new scapegoat (laughs) yeah it's just like that's gonna be a fun one for the internet to watch i mean okay if lewis hamilton cakewalks the first four grand prix of 2017 in relatively boring fashion unlike last year who are we going to point the blame at when, when it goes belly up that's what i'm gonna be wondering because for better or worse, and unfairly or fairly, Bernie Eccleston was the scapegoat to all of F1 fans' problems. And I've been saying this for years and years and years, that the sport has always had an issue with pointing its frustration in the wrong areas. And is this finally going to be the year where the strategy group gets gets the pressure to get shit done? Because it was Bernie before, and people just didn't seem to realise that Bernie wasn't really responsible for that shit. <laughs> No, I don't think this is going to change how the strategy group thinks about things. Well, again, why would they? Because ultimately it's their paychecks, and um, that's going to be a problem. But, I mean, it's we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I think RJ was absolutely right when he mentioned it a couple of minutes ago, where he simply put, well, you know, how is it? How, how long are we talking? Like, what's the time scale of a significant change? And I said on Twitter last night three to five years and and I, f- I think it still could be longer than that still because you don't just you know resurface the house you've paid 6.4 billion pounds for straight away um, it, you can't just do that with something that's that big and has got so many levels to it but I mean King what are you thinking in terms of time scale here uh, I would say the same time scale for chains three to five years yeah, so 2017, expect nothing, really. <laughs> and it won't and it won't be Bernie's problem because he has a fancy new title and he just cashed out for seven for almost seven billion pounds. He's well, good. Not really, because he didn't own the rights. <laughs> well, shoot. <laughs> trust, me, trust me, we are a well-researched <laughs> podcast here at Motorsport 101. We're professionals. We're total professionals who know what we're talking about but at hey, every with, given opportunity. But with seven million pounds, he could probably afford a half a weekend ticket to the British Grand Prix. Yeah, like, yeah, like, he, he might he like, might get Friday practice. <laughs> like, funnily enough, Bernie cashed out like sixteen years ago. <laughs> wow! Since then, RJ, since then, he's just been an employee. RJ, you really dangled on your own nuts on this one, didn't you? <laughs> 
Uh, yes, that's true. Uh, this will not be the this will not be the last time I embarrass myself with alternative facts on the Motorsport 101 <laughs> podcast. Alternative facts. It begins like from it, it begins from RJ Spicer O'Connell at this point. <laughs> oh dear! Next, he'll be telling us that Lewis Hamilton was a worthy world champion last season. Um, <laughs> but um, any last words on the legacy of Bernie Eccleston before we move on? Oh, I, I think I said it earlier. Like most comparable to Vince McMahon, how he completely changed how the sport was before then, and now it's like, uh, I, I would say like he should have probably gave up when the regulations changed in two thousand nine. Really, I think for me, for honestly, my for my own sake, um, I recognize that he has done a lot of good for the sport. It's just sometimes it's hard for me to get past some of the things that he has said for controversial headlines as the leader in the mm-hmm. last couple of years. And I think a lot of people, I think, you know, I kind of understand why people feel overjoyed that he is now no longer running the sport on a day-to-day basis. Like, he has no power anymore, and I can understand why they feel happy. I, I can kind of just tell them, like, hold on, it's not going to be a quick fits now that he's gone. But I definitely understand at least some of the, um, well, some of the some of the elation to it. That's when mm. that's that's kind of how I take away from it. Ugh. Yeah, um, I kind of echo that sentiment. I, I get why people are overjoyed about this, but I really feel like it's it's also one of those things where I think Bernie was just a piece of the overall jigsaw that is like what Formula One is now and how we can we criticize and complain about it on an almost weekly basis and he was the scapegoat for that he was effectively a mascot for what Formula One was now and I feel a little bit sorry for him in that regard even if he has said some well I'm going to be generous here and say some old man kind of things that um you know from, from a from a from a gender standpoint from a political standpoint and that's kind of where he's made his most impact in the last couple of years is just quotables with Bernie more than anything else but again we we do as F1 fans owe him a lot we probably wouldn't be fans we probably wouldn't be doing this show if it wasn't for him uh, indirectly and what he did to make Formula 1 what it is today but I think now is also the right time um, to 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 move on and I think I think the sport needs to go in a different direction. I think that was the universal feeling that I got on the internet last night after this was announced. That it seems like the time is right. The time is right to to make a change, and I'm cautiously optimistic for what Chase Carey and what the Liberty Group are going to do with F1 going forward. And I, I just, I just kind of, I, I, I want to be refreshed by a new approach more than anything else. And I hope it's a more modern approach that caters to the new generation too, that that also doesn't forget the old fans, does but does also doesn't ignore the backbone of what made this sport great in the first place. But um, thanks, Bernie, we owe you one. But uh, thanks for go- thanks for leaving. That's that also kinds of that's that's kind of the way I look at it, really. But um, yeah, again, again, I wish Bernie the best in whatever he does next. Um, maybe spend some time with the folks and the, the families. He's not the youngest of, of, of spring chickens anymore. But uh, speaking of uh, a new movement, let's move on to the next Formula One segment as uh, we start what RJ is critically called here hashtag Bottas Fever. Oh boy. 
Hoy. Gentlemen, the worst kept secret in Formula One was finally revealed last week. Um, <laughs> it, it's um, we can have many joyous celebrations in the American camp of the podcast because Valtteri Bottas officially confirmed at Mercedes AMG as Nico Rosberg's replacement. You guys can start celebrating now. Yeah. Happy joyous times ahead. Yeah, this is actually Woo. pretty good. This is yeah. pretty good. Botas has been a solid driver now for the last four years of his still young career. He's been proven productive in his time at Williams when they've had a great car, when they've had an okay car, when they've had a shit car like they've had in his rookie year. He's a former GP3 champion. He's raced wheel to wheel with some of the best and come out the better for it. But he has to go against somebody who is probably the undisputed number one world driver in the world today, Lewis Hamilton. And he is very much new to this team, and there is also the gut feeling that he may just be a stopgap option, which is kind of unfair, considering the Botas is a pretty solid talent. Yeah, I mean, I've not been as high on, on Valtteri over the last couple of seasons, but that's not really his fault. It's more that, I said it before during the Williams season review, I think he's more a victim of circumstance here for the situation that Williams kind of going south slowly over the last two seasons, where in 2014 he was one of the drivers of the year. Um, but as the car got worse, Bottas looked just more and more tame. Again, not directly his fault, more the fault of the car. Didn't have the most competitive teammate in the world next to him in Felipe Massa, who was okay, I guess, but I think slowly, again, slipped a little bit towards the end of his run. It... I don't. I'm not gonna act like I'm gonna get excited about this because it, it's not an exciting move. But I feel like it was also the only real move available here. What um, asked for me was the best option available. That, that's how I look at it. I think even if it's only in the short term, I think that you know Bottas is a solid, you know, top ten driver. You know, he's had proven success when the car's been good. And that's half the battle. That's I think that's the thing that's kind of stopped guys like Nico Hulkenberg over the last few years. It's that it's been that you know he has a proven track record of, of success in good machinery, something that a lot of midfielders don't have that luxury of. And I wish him the best. And but I mean, King, what do you make of this? I mean, I think, do you feel like it's a stopgap? Do you feel like it's a solid hire? Uh, I'd say it's definitely a solid hire, but. Whether Valtteri stays on past one year, that's. I think that's down to Mercedes. Like, for some reason, everyone seemed very confident that the Mercedes, at, at, at some, like, 12 hour move, was like, yeah, we'll, we'll put Pascal Verline in the seat and see what happens. Because that was always the bookie's favorite. I mentioned it on, on, on video, I mentioned it before, that Bottas, like, because Bottas was always second favorite to Verline, like, throughout. The um, because people were taking bets for who they thought the favorite was going to be, 
But um, yeah, Bordas was always around three to one until the last week before it was announced. It was starting to leak out, and then, then the photos came out, and it was like, oh yeah, stop everything. <laughs> it's going to be Bordas. It absolutely is. And but as, as King alluded to, it's only a one-year contract. It's a one-year deal for Bordas. So he will be a free agent at the end of next season, unless they time down to something bigger mid, in, in the middle of this season. But um, but I mean, like it, the, mm. the way they're hiring in their driver academy makes it seem like Ocon and Verline are the future. Like, no offense to George Russell, but like, mm. it, it doesn't seem like George Russell is going to be that guy they build an F1 team around when, when even Russell sa- himself said that, like, an F1, like, F1 seat time is not guaranteed under his contract with Mercedes. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes without saying because he again he's he's in the, he's in the queue he's he's back at the pecking order behind Ocon on Verline right now and it became more and more clear as, as time went on that Verline they weren't trusting him with a Merck's drive just yet and it seems more and more like Ocon might be their first choice for the future given his Force India deal given his testing with the team and given RJ O'Connell's fanboyism but. Uh, <laughs> 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 but um, in any case, yeah, absolutely. I think that it's a solid hire, but I think it's fair to say, King, with Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso, Max Verstappen, and Daniel Ricciardo, all free agents at the end of next season, I feel like Mercs were thinking short-term pain, in inverted commas, for long-term, get a franchise guy in the second seat next year, maybe? Uh, I don't think so. For for me, I really think if if Botas leaves, it's either going to be Ocon or or Verline. I don't know. I I honestly don't know because one thing I've learned is that very rarely do these top teams, with Red Bull as the only exception, very rarely do these top factory teams like to take gambles on youth and raw potential. That's kind Uh, of why they elected to put Botas in the car. With all of his experience, with his podiums and what should have been race wins at Williams when the car has been good, over a driver like Verline or Ocon, who arguably has way more upside than Botas does, but they don't trust either one of them yet. So they're well, giving Ocon, them a Ocon wasn't an option, so it was basically Verline or no Verline. And yeah. clearly no Verline was the call, but I mean... Sure, we could get into Red Bull later, but I don't think it was more like a gamble on youth. I think it was more like a situation of, oh, let's choose which young talent we want to put in our seat instead. Um, as if John Eric Verne is an ancient chasm at age 24. But, um, well, back then he yeah. was 24 when he, when he got and like, to give the, the, the upside to staying within your own academy is you don't have to pay those guys as much. Because if, if you look at any like highest-paid F1 driver list, you're never going to see a Red Bull guy on there because... Essentially, when they sign their youth contract, that's their contract until, like, they need to sign a new deal, which yeah, rarely they, ever comes. Yeah, they lowball their drivers a lot. Like, Sebastian Vettel, I remember this, Vettel was not making eight figures as an F1 driver until 2012, after right. he'd already won two titles. So, he's never been, like, the, the top of the money list until he joined Ferrari in 2015, like his contract was very slow when it came to giving him big money, and you're absolutely right, King. From it's it makes sense. I mean, if the youngun turns out to be great, it's a bonus because you, you can get them great and they're cheap. It's a bit like a rookie contract in the NFL. If you if you have a really talented rookie like a Cam Newton 
or say someone I'm trying to think who's been the decent NFL quarterback maybe like Jimmy's Winston for example that have been great on their rookie deals where there's a cap on how much you can give I think it's like 22 million or something yeah. like that uh, whereas you don't have to give him that enormous extension right away like you did like if you go back a few years someone like Sam Bradford who was a massive QB prospect and they gave him a 50 million dollar contract right away and it ended up being a bust for the Rams not, in, not his own fault he was injured yeah. a lot but it's those kind of scenarios, and again, Verstappen right now is driving on a ridiculously cheap deal. I'm sure yeah. there's, there's, I'm sure there's bonuses in there for obviously performance based yeah. bonuses and in like, there. But yeah, to, to slightly circle back to the Liberty Media deal, like mm. F1's really gonna have to really over the next coming years analyze its relationship with the Junior Series because to most of these drivers, any Junior deal is a good deal because it ends up with them getting paid instead of them paying. So. It doesn't matter how much they're getting paid, as long as they are getting paid, it's a good deal for most of them. Absolutely. Um, the big money deals are going to the experienced veterans, the guys that have done six to eight years already. And Why do sta- you think Kimi Raikkonen is still with Ferrari when everybody <laughs> else wanted him out for the last several years? Because he's been on rolling one-year contracts and he's been taking less and less money year to year to stick around. Like same thing happened with Jensen Button. Like remember, McLaren were going to let Jensen Button go, but at the eleventh hour, at the end of twenty fourteen, Button was willing to take like, was willing to like cut a third off his salary to stick around. Same deal with John Terry in football. John Terry is now only only I say this loosely only no, on fifty thousand only on fifty thousand pounds a week at Chelsea now because he took a pay cut off his old 130000 a week deal to stay rather than be let go as a free agent. Because remember, Chelsea changed their minds on that one towards the end of the 2014-15 season. So it happens. That's why Raikkonen is good, because you know what? He's gotten better. He's still a solid driver, and he's cheaper than firing a great big money deal similar to the one they gave to Sebastian in the first place for someone in the midfield, like maybe like a Sergio Perez or an Eco Hulkenberg, someone on yeah. that sort of level. Because, like, unlike in other sports, there you really can't define a term called, like, replacement-level player. Because no. a player could, dra- like, a driver in Formula 1 could drastically change their value to a team by just asking for a pay cut. Because, like, if if you're going to pay Max Verstappen the same amount as you do Sergio Perez, it, it kind of makes it, like, a no-brainer to take Verstappen over Perez any day. Absolutely, and that's a big deal. Again, like you can add 10, 10 million bucks here or there on the other side of a contract, and all of a sudden the driver could be infinitely, or, or, you know, more or less valuable. It's absolutely, yeah, it's because great point. Because you can either pay a driver ten million dollars or hire ten engineers for like, you know, you could hire a hundred engineers for a thousand dollars a year, like a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's like a thousand dollars a year. What kind of team are you running, King? <laughs> like $100,000 a year, and you get a hundred engineers, or like a $10 million a year contract, you get one driver. Like, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes you question, like, um, just how valuable is a driver, relatively speaking and financially speaking? That is a interesting question relative to the field, relative to a budget, et cetera, et cetera. But, um,. I remember you asked me this off the record, King, um, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and the question was, do you think Valtteri Bottas can win this year's world title? Um, so what do you think? Oh, what do I think? Uh, no. Like, like, I would love to be proven wrong by Valtteri Bottas, but I really just don't see it. Even though it's far too early to tell, testing hasn't started yet. Like, 
once I see, like, some comparison in lap times, maybe I could make a change in judgment. But right now, it's no. What I think, uh, I think back to 2013 when Lewis Hamilton was brand new to the team and Nico Rosberg was the established hand. And the mm. immediate reaction when Lewis came to the team was that he was immediately going to assert himself as the number one driver and Nico Rosberg was just going to fall by the wayside and become above average. As it turns out in their first season together, Rosberg took the majority split of victories and it wasn't until about the second half of the season that Hamilton really got going. And throughout their term, they were uh, fairly evenly matched, I yeah. would say. Fairly evenly matched. So I'd say I'd the... say it wasn't until 2015 until Hamilton really established himself over Rosberg. I mean, 2014 went to the final round and could have been different if Rosberg didn't spin his tires on the start line. I mean, I don't want to go into the world of shoulda, woulda, coulda, but, I mean, Rosberg was competitive in that 2014 title race. It went, it went to the last round. And he was only a, a teenager or so number of points away from him before that engine failure um, he had in, in Abu Dhabi that year. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Hamilton is not going to curb stomp. Like, like Hamilton did not curb stomp Rosberg really until 2015. And then Rosberg got his revenge a year but later. I, but I'd say it's different because the roles are switched. Like Hamilton, yes. doesn't, Hamilton doesn't have the learning curve here. Botas does. And that's going to be interesting. We don't know how he's going to adapt to this new team and this new challenge. I mean, the, the lesson is the power units are similar, but that's about it, really. And yeah. um, I wonder if, if it'll be like that guy that plays an F1 2016 career mode, drives a Renault to start the game, and then drives the Mercs and doesn't quite realize just how much faster it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, there's there's often the chance that Valtteri Bottas could become a revelation and really reestablish why, for, for especially the first three years of his career, he was so highly valued. But Damn. you also could think that he could turn out to be kind of like, and I don't want to say this because he is the champion of my favorite series, but Heki Kovalainen was a big deal when he was brought into McLaren at the end yeah, of he at, was. At the start of 2008. Yeah. He ended up just winning two races. At, he one. just ended up with one race. Yeah, one, yes. the Hungarian Grand Prix. Just Hungary one 2009. Race. He flatlined at the throughout 2009, and then his career never really got going. So mm-hmm. it could be interesting to see whether or not Botas becomes a legitimate threat to Hamilton's success at Mercedes, or if he just ends up being a glorified number two driver mm-hmm. who really just plays rear gunner to Hamilton's title chances, which yeah. would be the fear, considering that you know we're we've just had this great championship battle between Hamilton and Rosberg, and the fear is well. Now that Rosberg's retired, it's just Lewis's championship to lose. I would, I would generally, so. I'll generally say whether whether Botas becomes a legitimate threat or not kind of depends on whether he stays longer than one year. Because I don't think he's going to be a threat in the first year. He really like if if there was a determining factor on whether Botas wins a championship or not in his career, it's whether or not he gets an extension. Hmm. Five five point five overall under on Bottas wins for the season. Five point five. I think he's gonna get six wins, so that's just barely over. RJ, I I think he gets. I think he gets to six or seven. I think he makes it a more interesting title fight than people might be. That's people on the pessimistic side might think it will be. I don't think it will win the title in his first hand. And it's also kind of funny that we're talking about about this about Valtteri Bottas as kind of an old retrad. 
He's still only 27. <laughs> yeah, he's He's, he's 27. two years younger than Nico Hulkenberg. <laughs> yeah, and he's a lot, he's a lot younger than the Nets Domino in the uh, in the Mercedes related uh, silly season uh, ladder and the in the chain of events. Felipe Massa is, of course, coming out of retirement to go back to Williams to partner Lance Stroll. <sighs> like, I love there was just general size all around there. As it was, I was like, oh, yeah, Massa's back, you guys. Yay. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the guy who, like, kind of makes a big thing. Like, oh, guys, I'm leaving the job. I'm going to a new job in about a week's time. It's my last day of work, guys. And then next week comes, and he comes into work, and you're like, why are you still here? Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Like, they have too many good biscuits left in in the, in the staff room. I couldn't go just yet. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's... I mean... I don't entirely blame Felipe Massa for this. He, we all know that... Felipe, like, if anyone's known Felipe Massa's career, he's always been a loyal trooper to the bone. Yeah. And he, like he is the definition of a team player over the years. He's been tremendous where that's concerned. But I have to also say that it's it's kind of sad that he's had to come because he, he had this beautiful send off in Brazil. It was a wonderful thing. It was a scene. You know, he was a, he was given a guard of honor by the top teams. His former team, Mercedes, are out there. They they clapped him out. It was a beautiful ending. It seemed like the natural conclusion to. One of the real good guys of Formula One. And again, not entirely Massa's fault because it's more Williams kind of putting themselves in the corner here because of their contract terms. They had to have at least one driver over the age of 25 and they found out quite quickly, wait, no one is really eligible here. <laughs> it's like, um, what? No <laughs> one, when we're not willing to gamble on somebody who's been out of the sport a couple of years, like a Paul DeResta, or maybe one of their ex-test drivers like Sam Bird. Or Adrian Satil. <laughs> right. Just thinking outside the box probably would have saved them from having to wheel Felipe Massa out for one more season. But instead, we have Felipe Massa coming out of his retirement at the end of what may be his least productive season as a Formula One driver since his rookie year. And he has to be that veteran presence to back up Lance Stroll, who people are still worried is going to crash into everything, every single race, whether that's fair or not. And I personally don't think it is. No, me neither. But, yeah, I mean... It's deflating. There's no getting around. Like I said, Massa had the perfect send-off. He had the perfect ride into the sunset, and now he's back because Williams... I I, I bet it was one of those clauses when they signed the Martini deal in 2014 where they thought, ah, don't worry, this will never come into play. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that, that the dominoes fell. Like, there, there's no way that um, Nico Rosberg would, some for some reason, choose to retire then one of our guys is going to be the most eligible guy for that Mercedes seat, and then he's going to leave, and we're just going to happen to not have anyone available under the age of 20, like over the age of 25. That's that's just not going to happen, guys. Somewhere, Claire Williams said, ah, there's no way that'll ever happen. <laughs> Boom. And then, and then like, a TV show, it jump cuts to them, like, uh, guys, like, Felipe, can you come back? <laughs> just for a year till we fix it, just, just until Felipe Nass is old enough to be eligible, please. No? Yes, you'll do it. Thank you, Felipe. Thank you so much. 
because he's literally the nicest man in Formula One. <laughs> like, wait, we live like we live in a world where Formula One has so many alcohol sponsors that there needs to be clauses that they can't sign anyone under twenty five, and there's also a lack of availability of anyone over the age of twenty five. Yeah, I mean. These older drivers don't tend to move around as much for that very reason. I mean, again, Hulkenberg was another domino in that, that fell. And again, he's 29 now. He's no spring chicken anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, RJ, I mean, what do you make of the Massa return um, then? Hmm. I, um, gosh, it's, it's hard to stay optimistic. I would love for Felipe Massa to have one last really good season to prove he still got it under the new regulations, which might actually suit his driving style because at times before he announced his retirement, he mentioned that he wanted to get behind the wheel of these new cars because mm. he could get to push more like he could early on in his career, back in his prime in the mid to late 2000s. So he'll get that chance. I just don't know if it's going to come to fruition. He turns 36 this year. He's coming mm. off the least productive year of his career. Williams have been in a noticeable tailspin the last couple of years, which is still better than what they were in 2011 and 2013, mind you, but it's still <laughs> not great. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I can I can probably expect to see Lance Stroll leading that team in the points come the end of the season. I would wow. like to be proven wrong, <laughs> but... Oh, yeah, Stroll, Stroll, I would say Stroll's going to show he's the real deal. You and guys that... think Stroll will beat Massa head-to-head? Yeah, actually, I believe so. Actually, and I do have a slightly funny side story about oh. about Williams until recently reserve driver about what he's doing now. Go on. Yeah, the former Williams reserve driver Alex Lynn, he has secured another seat. Well, he's he's left the team and become the reserve and development driver at DS Virgin in Formula E. He oh, is yeah. the, he's the reserve driver <laughs> behind another former Williams test driver who never got a shot, Sam uh, Bird. The, it's it, it's like I, I wonder if like the moment that um, Lynn go, goes to goes to Buenos Aires for their next Grand Prix in about three weeks' time, it's like, oh hey Sam, hey what's up? It's like, oh you're a, you're a former Williams guy too. Yeah, join the queue. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean. I, I, Slightly happy to see that Formula E is now the place where they need reserve drivers. I guess that's good. <laughs> I mean, they're they're actually going to they actually will have a need to use them, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Given their calendar issues, we yeah, had I guess that makes sense. We had one more domino of the uh, of the Rosberg retirement, the Bottas signing to Mercedes, and Massa coming out of retirement. And that is officially, and we've alluded it before properly, Pascal Verline is now officially at Sauber, taking the Heinz Herald Frensen route to Formula One success via the team in Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. P- Pascal Verline at Sauber. It, yay. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing it's that's happening. It's definitely a thing. He's, he's certainly, well, he's not going to be driving with Mercedes Power this year because they're on a deal to use last year's Ferrari engines. Even Ugh. though Sauber's contract with with Ferrari expires at the end of the year, right? Ah, yeah. So might be seeing every team on Mercedes power. Oy vey. Yeah, every um, team, every team that's not Red Bull on Mercedes power. 
Yeah, it's kind of weird how this one, how this one, just this one shook out. I mean, it's 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 it's. I feel a bit bad for Verline. I mean, again, he he left the Manor team at the end of last season. He had a pretty solid rookie season, scoring the team's only point, etc. His stock was still pretty high. The Merc's seat suddenly becomes available. He's penciled in as Bookie's favourite, and he's thinking, "Oh, well, I've probably got a shot at this factory seat." And then everybody just kind of shit on him from a great height, saying, oh, he's a princess, oh, he's a diva. Um, oh, they went with Ocon instead at Force India, and Ocon got a, a really, really good seat. And, and you know, Verline was talking about the possibility at Williams, and then it turns out, oh, he can't go there, he's not 25. And where does he end up? The one place the negotiations started in the first place, <laughs> Sauber. <laughs> It's like, oh, we're, free, we're freezing negotiations a Sauber with Verline. Ooh, I wonder why that could be. Oh, no, no, we're actually signing him. Uh, oh. <laughs> like, you go, through, you, you go through all of that just to end up where you started. That must oh, be just... That, that, that's just misery right there, isn't it? That's, that's yep. just the, the definition of misery. And as it, stands, as it stands now, because Verline got the seat at Sauber, it seems like... F1 will have no graduates from GP2 this year. Wow. Not, un- not unless somebody makes a desperate heave for somebody in the upper midfield of GP2, and if- and that would require somebody actually taking an- time to invest in Manor. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, some, maybe some of the female fans of F1 can finally put a crowdfunder together for Mitch Evans. Because we- <laughs> no? Maybe? Yes? Because I know everybody loves Mitch Evans because, you know, he's a proper driver. No, no investment and all that. No, no. Uh, yeah, it's a shame. I mean, given that GP two has come off arguably its strongest ever season in terms of just sheer talent coming out of the class, and there's a good chance, very good chance, that none of them will be in Formula One next year. Unless, yeah, again, and most of them will be back in GP two this year. <laughs> yeah, even worse. I mean, Gasly's off to Japan, and now, I mean, who knows what Giovinazzi's going to do? At oh, first, he's got he's going back thing. to GP two. Oh, is he? Yeah. Shit. <laughs> well, that, that's, who, that's who you put your money on for this season, y'all. Actually, no. Yeah, I... uh, no, I don't think Giovinazzi is going back. Uh, yeah, because Prima already confirmed both seats for next year. Giovinazzi's not going back unless it's with a different team. Oh, at least he'll look really good in those Ferrari blazers and ties for yep. a year. Do, doing, we'll... doing what Jeb did for a year. <laughs> What, uh, sl- sl- slating off his former employees and looking good in a suit? <laughs> but think of the benefits, King. He can say, I drive for Ferrari. <laughs> think of all... Like, he's already a handsome-looking Italian man, and now he can come out and say he drives for Ferrari. I mean, look at all the, look at all the girls he'll get. <laughs> mm, pretty much. Goodness. Um... Yeah, I want to be optimistic about Verline's deal, and it looks like Sauber getting things back on the right track after a rough recent couple of years. Oh, but it's going to be tough for them to crack the top eight this year, unless they come out and testing like they did at the start of 2013 and suddenly show up topping the timesheets out of nowhere. Um, it's it's going to be tough for Verline to have to carry that team on his back. Well, I don't know. This this year will be their first full season with new investors, so maybe things will improve. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Sauber, I mean, again, people have been optimistic about Sauber before, and I'm like, people need to remember this is Sauber. And 
they have a ha- they have a tendency of letting people down in the long run, and it's a shame because they have the talent. They have they've had the engineers. We've seen it like in 2012 where they can produce a really nice car and they can get drivers up the field. Like they're capable of doing that. And they gave that... us they gave us Sergio Perez. They gave us James Key, who's probably going to become a championship winning car designer at some point in his career. You know. Mm-hmm. They've done good things with not a lot of resources ever since BMW pulled the plug on them. But, yeah, 2010. Yep, but um, it's it's just an up, it's just a continuous uphill climb for them. Well, I'll have to wait and see how that one rolls out. But uh, that is basically practically the end of the silly season um, puzzle. Um, and unless we see what happens with Manor, whether they'll even be on the grid for next season remains to be seen. But um, I'd pencil Jordan King in for one of those seats. Just a thought. Um, <laughs> nah, I don't that, think but. so. <laughs> you know, there's this elderly chap in uh, with like white hair and spectacles who just recently was put out of a job. Um, has some experience in team ownership. Um, maybe... No. Nah, I, I, I don't think he's gonna go back in team ownership. I, I think he, I think he's, he was tired enough of being trying to be that nice guy, signing three million dollar checks to Manor to keep them alive. Yeah, he was probably getting sick of that bullshit at some point. Yeah. Not that I blame him. <laughs> yeah, um, he's like, do I really want to own this team that I was helping bail out multiple I times? Gave, I gave him enough checks as it is. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I can't even. Oh, I can't even go there. But um, yeah, I have to wait and see how that one turns out. Again, more on most likely on later episodes. I have to wait and see how that goes. But uh, yeah, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back to talk about the fun that was the race of champions. <laughs> talk about this weekend's race of champions at the Miami Marlins baseball stadium and uh the first world championship to ever be decided at, Miami, <laughs> at the Miami Marlins park you had you, you had to go there didn't you RJ you had to go there <laughs> yeah the, the, the team so like unassumingly like average that they couldn't even get a title sponsor for their ballpark but they do have this um dolphin thing <laughs> out in left center field whenever they hit a home run it's just like this this crazy decorative uh i think it's a ride a slide you can ride down i don't yeah. know what the heck it is but it was very prominent as the race of champions uh commenced over a two-day period in a makeshift stadium in a makeshift track inside a baseball stadium um i didn't get a chance to see much of this but i caught the finer points i think it was pretty good it was certainly something. Yeah, we, we, we again, none of us, I think, really paid ultra attention to any of this. Like, watched every single minute of it. Oh, I, wa- uh, I watched, day two, I watched it, like the entire thing start to finish. Perfect, it's more than the pair of us combined. Right, no, no. <laughs> but um, in the individual competition on the Saturday, 
Um, it was Juan Pablo Montoya's first race of champions. And, um, of course, he goes and wins the whole damn thing. Because that's, that's <laughs> what he does. He, he is the rookie. Not, not, not the best rookie. He is the rookie. Rookie years, he goes out and dominates. Only true rookie to win the cart title in 99. Old, uh, rookie winner of the Indy 500 in 2000. <laughs> Won a race in his rookie year in NASCAR. You know, came back, and now he's a race of champions, champion of champions, beating Tom Christensen in the finals. Ha, okay, if you're Tom Christensen, how salty are you at this point? Uh, I wouldn't be too salty. <laughs> still have, still have all those Lamar wins. King, I saw the interview after the race. He was mad salty. Like this, this, this is his fifteenth race of champions, and he still hasn't won one of these yet. Yeah, the fact <laughs> that he's now retired as a professional racing driver now, but still comes back every year to do the race of champions. He just, he just so badly wants to win this, and it just hasn't happened for him yet. And you could tell, like again. Tom, it's like the, the, the older TK is like the classiest of class acts. You could see it in his eyes. He was getting sick and tired of losing out on this. <laughs> yeah, one. this is now the fourth time in the last five race of champions that Christensen has finished runner-up in the Champion of Champions tournament. He oh. was runner-up to OJ in 2011, runner-up to Grosjean in 2012, runner-up to Sebastian Vettel in 2015, and now runner-up to Montoya in 2017. Oh god, that that like that that's got to suck if you're Christensen right there. It's like, how what has he got to do to win one of these? Like, kill the the kill the field. But just, but oh. I but I love what Montoya told the press. It's unbelievable. Today I'm actually regretting not have done this before. Yeah, like, hey, Montoya's <laughs> actually won something. Like he's a, uh, but like, he's like it's like last time he won something was like a whole year ago in St. Pete. I do remember him saying that. I do remember him saying that, yeah. If I had known it was this much fun, I would have done this years ago. And, of course, because he's Montoya, he just comes in and just drives the nuts off whenever his whenever And, and just to, just to add a little more salt, this is Tom Kirstensen's fifth runner-up in the race of champions. Five runner-up spots and a four in the last five. I mean, that's just... Ugh. That, that, that was awful. And, again, like, my boy yeah. Sebastian couldn't defend his couldn't defend his individual title he got knocked out in the group stage very unfortunately but the groups also had one other highlight and that was um paul pascal verline we just mentioned him a minute ago and um oh dear um after the race he had a he had a he, he got he got caught in a tank i think it was, I think it was a felipe Massa's car um after a, i think it was a, the round of 16 or something like that yeah, he rolled it he rolled he, in. That, that car was just junk. And unfortunately, mm. the doctors wouldn't clear him to race the next day in the big Nations Cup between Colombia, Brazil, Germany, Latin America, the, the Nordic states, Canada, the UK, and three different Team Americas. America <laughs> versus the world. <laughs> Pretty much. I yeah, guess you except, won. Except, yeah, they put, they put North America all in one group. So it was Canada and the three American teams all in one group. Yeah, and the combined might of North America was not good enough to beat one man. As we aforementioned <laughs> earlier, Team Germany was meant to be Sebastian Vettel and Pascal Wehrlein. Wehrlein was unable to compete, but Vettel won the whole damn thing by himself. Yep, it's, instead, of, instead of Germany pulling out, Vettel was like, nah, screw that fam, I'm doing this all by myself. And you know what? He did, and he did it in several different cars. <laughs> 
and was undefeated. He was 8-0 and in the entire tournament. Did not lose a single race the, the whole way through. And an incredible performance from Sebastian. The finger came back as he came out of the car as well. Like, like the competitiveness in him is, 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 was refreshing to see that uh, a man in a Ferrari suit was celebrating for the first time in over a year. But um, in any case... An unbelievable effort from Vettel to win the Nations Cup on his own, despite the Bush brothers being a, a pair of dirty cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, like, I wouldn't even say it was a heel turn. They were already heel heading into this. <laughs> the Bush brothers! <laughs> the Bushes. <laughs> Where, um, in, I think it was the semi-final between Team USA IndyCar and Team USA NASCAR, which is, you know, Kurt and Kyle Busch, and it was down to, I think, the last round, like, the, it was down to the race number three in this best of three, and both in rally cars, oh, it was, yeah, it was Kurt Busch had what seemed to be to everyone in the building a jump start. <laughs> yeah, like... Again, shout out to all our friends of the show, Sarah Connors, Elizabeth Worth, Lisa, uh, aka at Push the Pass, and Catherine Benham, who were all down there um, repping, and we got a whole bunch of inside photos, and it was fantastic and all that, so shout out to all of those guys. I swear to God, Sarah and Elizabeth are drip compatible, because they yes. make the same <laughs> observation at multiple points throughout the yes. event at the same time. This Even was then backed up by a... This was then backed up by a video that uh, Catherine sent to me of them taking a sip out of the same Starbucks IndyCar mug at the same time with the same arm. Yep, it, it was it was amazing. Like they're basically conjoined twins at this point. But um, again, they, like they were flagging this up as it happened. Full start, you guys. It was like Ernie Johnson in that great Inside the NBA on TNT race where Ernie shouts out false start as, as it was blatantly obvious that Kenny Smith had jumped the stars. It was the exact same deal here. And again, like, what's amazing is I think it was Kurt admitted after the race that they jumped the start and yet they did nothing about it. Yeah, <laughs> because um, they're allowed like a two foot roll up because the clutches on, on the rally cars aren't that like... The, the, yeah, they aren't that good. So two they were, feet? That's massive! Yeah, they're allowed two feet. But even, like, if you look on the video, he went way past two feet. Yeah, King, it wasn't even close. It was more like ten feet. I mean, holy crap. Um, it, it was the most... It was about as blatant a jump start as King. Do you remember the time when John Drummond went crazy on a false start in an athletics event? Yes. <laughs> or, 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 or I remember, did not move! I remember that 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 US MotoGP. <laughs> oh God, yes, the Jorge Lorenzo jump start scene around the world. Where yes, Jorge was like, one. "Just screw it, I'm just going. I'm just, I'm just gonna go." I, 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 you don't even have to punch. It. I know this is gonna be a drive through. Sod it. <laughs> oh, it was bad, but yet wasn't penalized. And then they didn't they give out a jump start penalty later on in the tournament anyway, which made it double down on how stupid the whole thing sounded. Yeah. yeah. They basically, I think what, what it was is like... And it was it was a different just... car with a better clutch, so that two-foot rule didn't apply. Yeah. <sighs> in case oh, you wonder yeah. how seriously the race of champions is as a competition and how prestigious as it is. <laughs> It, it is it is a, an all-star game. It's, it is Yeah, it's it's for fun. It's for fun. It's really the closest thing we have 
to a true all-star race that is not sanctioned by one series. Yeah, like, I think it's the same case for any other all-star game where everyone wants it to be this really serious, best-of-the-best competition, but again, it's it's for fun. Supposedly, supposedly. And just before we move on, Catherine, if you're listening to this, God damn you for getting a selfie with Sebastian Vettel. I hate you! <laughs> How could you? It hurts. Everything hurts. <laughs> I'm not jealous at all, I promise, honestly. No, like, like I'm, I'm totally Though, okay with this. Though, to, to close out the event, they decided to host an America versus the world competition where they had America's nine against the best nine they could field. No, no, America's six against the best six they could field from all the other teams. And it ended up going down to the wire to, I think, the last event in this Ryder style, Ryder Cup style competition where Petter Solberg won the event. Like, of course, of course, like, I forgot who they was, uh, team rest of the world's captain, but that was like, yeah, I'm putting Petter Solberg in the rallycross car for in the finale in case we ever get to that. Then they no get shit. to, <laughs> then, they, then they get to that. Petter Solberg just curb stops. I forget which American was in the car. Just curb stops that person. It rest of the world wins. Yeah, I think it was Scott Speed. No, but the but the best enduring image was that after that, Petter Solberg, I believe it was him that gave <laughs> yes. the, a taxi ride to everybody with everybody sitting on and hanging off sides of the car. Actually, yeah, IndyCar just retweeted that picture as we speak. Well, let me find it. Oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> Right. Yeah, they were like, okay, okay, we can't have Solberg drive this. We need a careful driver in the car if we're going to do this. Okay. We'll pu- <laughs> yeah, they put buttons Jensen in the Buttons car. driving this car with freaking 50-year-old Tom Christensen sitting on the roof. <laughs> Guys, like, I hope, like, Jensen, I hope you've got a good health plan in case you run somebody over by accident. It's like the, uh, the <laughs> amount of pay, like, the amount of, like, insurance payoffs if there were to be an accident and people were to get <laughs> this, is, this is the for the hottest mitts take of 2017. Yeah, we, we, got, we got Solberg on the roof. We got Tom Kirstensen in front of him. We got Felipe Massa besides, besides Kirstensen. Tony Kanan is in this. Yeah, Kanan's well, on the hood. Kanan, Vettel, David yeah, Coulthard. The, the rear wing is Coulthard, Vettel, and Montoya <laughs> all sitting on the rear wing. That Man, is amazing. Big timers look different than they did like 15 years ago. What the fuck? <laughs> incredible. Just, that's just that, that is just an in, an incredible incredible image right there. That is fantastic. Everything great about the race of champions in one tight little picture there. And shout out to our man James Hinchcliffe for winning the talent contest. Apparently, I wonder what the hell he did to, to win that. Uh, I'm after. Because it wasn't put on TV, so I'd like to hear it from the man himself. So, Hinch, if you're listening, <laughs> let <laughs> we'll, us know. We'll, we'll do, we'll do. you know, back-to-back. We guest star on your podcast. You guest star on ours. I, I, we are open to negotiation. <laughs> it, but it was it was probably do donuts while crying that Connor Daly didn't get in the event and is sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, I love that like, Lizzie was the saltiest motherfucker on earth regarding Stefan getting that seat to the point where she was going, eat a dick, when he was losing <laughs> races, and then she takes a freaking selfie with him at the end of the Nations Cup, and I'm like, Lizzie, you traitor! Well, I'm pretty Lizzie. sure Con- Connor was at the event, too. 
yeah, he was there. He was in the background watching along, like because Colin Daly just does these things. <laughs> but, uh, like Lizzie, I want words with you because I know you're listening to this. <laughs> Connor, Connor Daly could have just added some umlauts to the A in his surname and just filled in for Team Germany. <laughs> yeah, sure, that could have worked. No, no, no one would have noticed. No one would have noticed. Like who's this young, who's young up and coming German driver we've never heard of before. You said it, but again, racer champions, great fun as always. And um, yeah, shout out to Monty, shout out to Sebastian, phenomenal effort there. Shout out to him for winning the talent show. Here's Robin Miller esque grid walk in the back. Part one is on the IndyCar YouTube channel, and it is fantastic. I, I I highly recommend you you go out of your way to see. The it. only it, thing that was missing was Pitbull as the master of ceremonies, like everything in <laughs> <right in> Miami. <laughs> uh, oh God, when the team. <laughs> You should have been the champion cat. of champ. The champion of champions has now been renamed to the Th- Mister Three Hundred Five Award. No, nah, they should have read. They should have called instead of Team Rest of the World, Team Worldwide. Team. Dolly Earnhardt Jr. should have done this. We're done. We're done with this segment. This segment is so over. <laughs> We're finished here. Right, after this short break, we'll be back to talk about the Monte Carlo Rally. This is probably the part where I shut up and let RJ and King do most of the talking here. I know you guys have been waiting for this day on the podcast for many, many times. Like, Dre doesn't talk very much. But um, (laughs) it was the World Rally Championship return, the dawn of a new era in in World Rally. In short, it was the best of the Montes and the worst of the Montes. Right. Um, this This is really like... I make a running joke about this. Like, every year I say I'm going to get back into WRC, I'm going to watch the full season, and then by about Rally Mexico or Rally Argentina, like the third or fourth round of the season, I just tune out. But I always make it a point to ratchet the Rally Monte Carlo because it's the big rally of the year that, like, everybody knows. Even if they know nothing about rally, rallying, they've heard of the Rally Monte Carlo. I think it mm-hmm. was mentioned in the Speed Racer movie yeah. with John Goodman. <laughs> yeah, it was. Wow. And... And what for for like the past decade, it's always been the first rally of the season, so it's like it's almost impossible yeah. not to watch. And it's in the middle of January, so like in the in this time where there's not a whole lot of motorsport going on, people are gonna watch it. And this brings us to the start of the season where we have the new generation twenty seventeen world rally cars that are faster, they've got more aero, they've got more power. They are about as fast as the Group B cars from the 1980s were. Except they look a bit more... They're they're a bit more planted, and they're doing it more with aero rather than just pure power. I will say that the Group B cars looked a bit more out of control, especially with with all the crowd control issues that they had back in the day. Um, It was looking to be a pretty good start to the season, but unfortunately, on the first stage of... On the first day of the very first stage... Uh, Hyundai driver Hayden Padden had a single car accident 
he slid on some black ice and the car rolled over into a ditch and onto its side. Hayden and co-driver John Kennard were all right, but it developed over time that somebody had figured out, like not even the announcers knew this at the time that were covering the event live for BT Sport or what have you, but a spectator who had been just sitting in this ditch at the side of the road trying to take pictures of the car at night got struck and unfortunately lost his life as a result of the accident. It's the first spectator fatality in WRC since 1996. And and it's also a pretty good testament how good the crowd control has come along mm. uh, in the time since the Group B era. There have only been three spectator fatalities in WRC history since the 1986 Portugal rally where three specters die, spectators died in one accident alone. So, and, uh, and I know that some people were kind of willing to point the finger at the new, the new faster cars, but I mean, yeah, that could have happened not, in any car. It really could have. You can, you cannot game plan for skidding on black ice and rolling your car. And if you were, and you always take a risk whenever you are a fan that wants to get up cl- as close yeah, to the like, action as possible. Like, Sadly, that fan pretty much violated, like, every safety rule in doing so, being in, not as well, roadside to the rally route in a corner exit, which is a big no-no. Right, and like, just, like, just, just so we're clear, that doesn't make this any less terrible. Yeah, it terrible, doesn't make it, it any less terrible. But it is something that future spectators should heed in mind. It's the exact same with motorcycle road races like the Isle of Man TT. You are mm. racing on public roads, and if you are a spectator and you get too close to the action, you do run the risk of something bad happening, more so than any purpose-built circuit. Yeah, because the, the, the general rule of thumb for any rally spectator is you always should be above the road, especially in a rally where there's so much elevation change. Always be above the road. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, it was it was definitely not a good night to start the rally on. Yeah. I can say, I, King and I can say that the event, the rest of the event itself was actually pretty good. Yeah, it was, I was... I would say it was yeah, probably many, one of the best Monte Carlo rallies in at least the last five years, to be honest. Right. You had uh, you had a battle you had a battle for all the important positions that went pretty much down to the wire on the final day until uh, until Thierry Noiville on uh, I want to say it was day three of the rally um, broke his suspension in a wreck and basically handed the win to Sebastian OJ. <laughs> yeah. Which, which to outsiders who didn't watch the action going on, it was like, of course OGA wins. But I'm like, no, like it was a legitimate competition up until that accident. Like if, if you know, if there wasn't the 15 minute time penalty for having repairs done, it probably wouldn't have been OGA's rally. Right, and keep in mind with OJ winning this rally at the start of the year remember he made a high profile switch from Volkswagen not to any one of the other factory <laughs> teams like Toyota <laughs> to Hyundai or Citroen but he went to M Sport a which private the, CRT <laughs> they are they are essentially the Ford Works team but they're no longer a manufacturer they have not been since 2012 when Ford pulled out of the sport because they were tired of getting their shit kicked in by Sebastian Loeb and Citroen every single year. They said, screw this, we are done, and left M Sport to run as a semi-privateer. They have not won a rally since, 
And they just so happen to have signed the number one dri rally driver in the world who goes on and wins the, the first biggest race. The, <laughs> the biggest rally of the year, without a doubt. Oh, damn. It was astounding. It yeah. Was, like, to, to anybody that kind of criticized OJ as just being a talent, a product of Volkswagen building an overpowered car, I say this. I don't think so much. I think he is one of the best drivers in the world. Yeah. Especially in this discipline. Is he a bit abrasive at times? Possibly. But he's the best in the business for a reason. He has single-handedly turned around and re-energized M-Sport to where Ford is actually considering getting back as a full-fledged manufacturer. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure if M-Sport somehow wins the championship this, this year, Ford's definitely coming back as a factory team. <laughs> Right, right. Mm. And it wasn't just a big day for M-Sport. It was also a big day for Toyota, who were making their return to the sport for the first time since 1999. And although it didn't get off to the best of starts, Yari Matty Latvila, former Volkswagen driver, finished second for Toyota in their first rally in 18 years. When it seemed like they hadn't done all the preparation that they needed to, Matty Latvila... Latvala finished second, and he yeah. normally doesn't do well at this event, too, so there's that as well. So there is some optimism for Toyota going forward. Yeah, um, and man, I've never seen a Toyota. I've never been in my life. So yeah, I'd love to drive that Toyota Yaris until oh, until, oh, this, <laughs> until oh, seeing this Toyota. Oh, that like these cars. Like yeah, I want to drive that car. I oh drive my god, that. there was there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of hesitation that maybe the cars were too easy to drive at the limit but i'll tell you they sound mean they look aggressive uh they are the they're easily the fastest rally cars we've seen in 30 years if not the fastest top line rally cars of all time they're all inspiring machines and it's and rallying is different from you know traditional circuit racing where if you have more aero that like it's going to affect the passing and the on-track action isn't going to be as good. In rallying, you're mostly racing against the clock. So, in a sense, having these cars just be as at the limit as possible is kind of enthralling. Like, I'm seeing these guys thread the needle through these narrow-ass country roads at 200 kilometers an hour and just hitting at the limiter and sits gear. I'm like, how the hell do you do this? You are superhuman. Yeah, yeah. like, it just... If you can find any like onboard footage from any of the stages and just ride along with these guys, oh my god! Red you Bull TV, <laughs> Red Bull TV broadcast um, highlights of all three full days of the rally. And yeah, they did live coverage of an entire uh, of an entire stage with former driver Matthew Wilson and even Mark Weber got to be a co-commentator of the <laughs> event, and he was blown away by how just insane these new cars were. Uh, just running down the order. Sebastian Auger wins the 2017 Monte Carlo Rally ahead of Yari Matty Latvila for Toyota. And third was Oik Tanek, the second of the M Sport 4 drivers who kind of limped home to third place, but what a result it was for the Estonian who was, who in my mind has been one of the breakout stars of the last couple of years in the WRC. See, that's the thing about the WRC is that they have all this young talent that can create a another boom period like in the days of Colin McRae and Carlos Sainz and Richard Burns and Tommy Mackinnon but not all of them have the opportunities to do so. Danny Sordo was the top Hyundai in fourth place and shoutouts to Ireland's Craig Breen who finished fifth overall in last year's <laughs> old janky Citroen DS3. Damn. 
Yes, yeah. Craig Breen is Craig Breen led the way for Citroen, and he was the only guy on their team who didn't get the new car because they didn't have enough for him. Wow, well, that's that, crazy. Okay, but just to say, you could still get the season pass to WRC, all the races live and on demand, including all the onboards from all the cars, their entire their entire trip through the rally for fifty euros. Which yeah, in you, if, yeah, for, yeah for, if you're a diehard fan, that is something you can't pass up. Yeah, fifty um, euros. That's forty. That's that's fifty four dollars in pounds. I think that is one hundred and fifty eight. One hundred fifty. No, <laughs> that was that was the joke, King. <laughs> Jesus. Alvin Evans was sits in the Ford Fiesta WRC. He's coming back to Type Light competition after missing most of last year and being kind of relegated to the second tier. Um, at times, he looked like he could have been in for a podium finish. And um, the Welsh, the young Welshman, is somebody who is really going to be a feature part in the season as the races go on. Seventh was Andreas Mickelson, not in a Volkswagen Polo, of course, because they're out of there, but in a WRC two spec Skoda Fabia. He was one of he was uh, he was the top WRC two guy and he finished seventh overall ahead of fellow Skoda driver Jan Kopecki in eighth. Stefan Lefebvre kind of backed into a ninth place finish, but still a good result for the young Frenchman. And Brian Bouffier, who has won the Rally Monte Carlo before and nearly won it a couple years ago, as an as a privateer mercenary, finishing tenth in a Ford Fiesta. Oh, also, if you use the promo code WRC2017, you get extra 20% off. So anyone who's interested. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so that's 10 euros off. <laughs> all in all, I think it was, uh, I think it was obviously a, a bittersweet start to a new era. I think, I hope that this is the worst that it gets in terms of, like, human loss but i think i've seen some things that have me optimistic about the future of wrc whether or not the series can capitalize it who knows can they bring in more manufacturers can they market their talent can they give them the young guys the right rights that they need who knows but from what i saw i definitely would be interested and i certainly hope i don't lose interest in it like i have the last couple of years yep like for anyone who's interested next rally is in two weeks time in sweden Snow. Yes, snow. Lots of snow. Lit. Are you quite finished, gentlemen? Now, can I, can I, can I come back? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to pop my head in here for two minutes before I leave again. What to these guys can talk about IMSA and the Rolex 24. But um, yeah, rally. Go watch it. <laughs> This week's episode of this highly segmented point scoring episode of Motorsport 101, we're going to talk about the Rolex 24 at Daytona preview heading up this weekend. And uh, it's, it says a lot that um, in our set list, RJ has put flame emojis next to everything <laughs> on the Rolex 24 segment because I think that just about sums up our general excitement for this. Right, yeah. Like, 
we like not all of us are big fans of sports car endurance racing but i think we are all unanimously excited for this event and here is yes. why number one it is a marquee race in the middle of the winter periods when there's not a whole lot going on um just just it's the start of a new era for imsa with the launch of the daytona prototype international category which oh. is going to be pretty much racing against the new generation of LMP2 cars. And if you've not seen the new DPIs from Mazda and Cadillac and Nissan, oh my goodness, that's what LMP2 should have been. It's just certified filth, quite frankly. Um, it's, it's not legal in 15 states. Um, they are stunning-looking pieces of machinery. And I, I know it's like... I, I kind of want to get into IMSA this year more than anything else because they don't they're not so stringent on the endurance side of things obviously they do have their own bigger races the 12 hours of sebring obviously the rolex 24 coming up and I'm, there's one i'm missing somebody help me out here Petit Le Mans. Uh, little yeah, Petit Le Mans, which i went to last year and was a great great time like the one yeah. atlanta yes yeah, if, okay. yes, you, you might not think of brazelton georgia uh, just this tiny little town in the middle of the deep south just being like this hotbed of motorsport. But it is. It's a beautiful track with a lot of stuff to do in the middle of it just in case you need a break from the action. Yeah, it's like, it's that track from Forza and, 2. And also <laughs> the six hours of the Glen, which is the shortest of the endurance races they have in the calendar. Ooh, so it's like one whole WEC round. Yeah, besides that, all the races on the calendar are no longer than, I think, four hours. Yeah, there's mostly like two and a half, two and three quarter hour events. Yeah, there's a few at like Long Beach and Detroit to support races for IndyCar. Yeah, so they're, they're generally at F1 length for the rest of the season. And that's kind of what I get into. Because I, I love the cars and I love the tech that's on display in the WEC. But I just can't get into the race length. So for IMSA to have the majority of their calendar be shorter is something that's automatically really appealing to me. Oh, and my goodness. And if you have not seen the entry list for this year's Rolex 24, let, oh, me, just, let me just skim over some of the names. Like, we have, from the 2016 Indianapolis 500, we have 11 of the 33 drivers that were in last year's race. We wow. have Scott Dixon, Tony Kanaan, Sebastian Bourdais, Ryan Hunter Ray, and Graham Rahal, and that's not even the guys who are in the top class. Yep. Uh, again, like the f again, keep keep them coming, RJ, because the, the list you is have, just absolutely you have, stacked. You have your boy James Hinchcliffe yeah! in one of two Mazda prototypes, which means that Dre is automatically rooting for Mazda. They have Spencer Piggott in the other. They yes! have complete, they have Pipo Durrani in a Nissan that might not be as fast as it was this year. But you know what? That's fine because he's being paired with Brendan Hartley, who is a former World Endurance Drivers now, Champion. Now, the weird the thing on, on the, the official spotter guide, on the spotter guide, Brendan Hartley's listed in both of them. Yeah, he's going to be driving both cars. Pete <laughs> Lamont with Spencer Pickett. They had Spencer drive both the 55 and the 70 car. And now Brendan Hartley's going to drive both the number two and the 22 Tequila Patron ESM cars. That's insane. Yes, Shall I mean, we continue? Yeah, in the Shall we continue with, uh, with the fact that Rebellion Racing have turned up with Neil Yanni, the reigning World Endurance Drivers Champion, and Sebastian Buemi, the reigning Formula E champion, and Nick Heidfeld, all in the same car. <laughs> all in the same car. 
You know, you know how RJT's that? It's a bit like seeing a Sky Sports Champions League football panel when it's got like Graeme Souness, three-time Champions League winner. Rude Hullet, two-time Champions League winner. And then Jamie Redknapp, Sky Sports. It's like Nick Heinfeld is in, is in the Jamie Redknapp role for this one. But obviously it's Nick Heinfeld who is just going to be great at finishing third, m- m- most likely. Just, just you know, <laughs> Stefan Sarazen is also in that car. So he's also there. Sarazen! no slouch. Nice. He can drive anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm down for that. Continue, RJ. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> can, can, um, I, can I gush GT. over my favorite car before we move no, on to go GT? On. Go, the, go go on. the heck on. The, the, the number 10, the, the, the always trustworthy car from Wayne Taylor Racing. with Ah, oh, Jordan Taylor. With, <laughs> Jordan, with Jordan and Ricky Taylor and Max Angelelli. But surprise, surprise, their fourth guy for this race is Jeff Gordon. Yes, that is that's just Jeff amazing. Gordon. Four-time yes. NASCAR Cup Series champion Jeff Gordon, who is probably thinking about making endurance racing his thing after his retirement from frontline competition. Oh, my God. If you have not been to Jordan Taylor's uh, Twitter or Facebook profile <laughs> and seen him try oh, and uh, – So Jordan Taylor has this alter ego that he plays called Rodney Sandstorm, and he's kind of this uh, – good old boy racing fan who just turns up and like all this faded old <laughs> racing merchandise with like a mustache and he just talks like he's like this y'all man thanks for, thanks for taking the picture with me man so he tries he, he's done this before and he tries to do this with jeff gordon and his getup is the most incredible thing because he's got this old dupont rainbow warriors jacket yeah it looks like it was made in 94 has this faded old uh, jeff gordon hat and he's got the freaking, he's got the crappy mustache that Gordon had in his life. He's, <laughs> he's just made this all part of his ensemble. He's trying to put one over on Jeff Gordon. And Jeff is having none of it. <laughs> you can see right through the disguise. Oh, my God. Y'all, GT Le Mans is always the best class at Le Mans at, at IMSA. And it's going to be even greater because... We're going to have the Corvette versus the Ford rivalry round number. God knows how many rounds it is at this point, but it's going to be another fun one. Yep, and we got our, our good old boys from Ferrari are here, but with only the 62 this year, which should be interesting. They don't have a car to play off the 62. It's only that 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 looming threat that is always the number 62 Ferrari with Giancarlo Fisichella and Tony and Tony Vlander just And James Collado in oh, it Col- as well. Collado oh, Collado as well God. this year. Yeah. Former Force India driver James Collado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if JT Lamont last year was any indication with Corvette Racing taking a 1-2 photo finish at the very end, this is going to be lit. Like, Ford's lineup on paper looks astounding with Borde, Ditson, Kanan in three different cars. Um, just the amount of sheer driver talent that they have between these four cars is incredible. Porsche signed Lawrence Vantor away from Audi, and he's going to be a full-season entrant in IMSA. Oh, this God. Year. This, this dude is, is good. And it's it's the new 911. It's the mid-engine 911. <laughs> Oh, my God. We haven't even gotten to the deepest class in the field. GT Daytona, which, yeah, it's GT3. But you've got the IMSA debut of Mercedes-Benz, which has a car featuring Johnson's boy, Shan Van Gisperken. Shan Van Gisperken is in the slowest class in the field. (laughs) And that's still not all. Lexus has a new car, and they've got a star-studded lineup with old-ass Scott Pruitt, who's still going. <laughs> yeah. Sage Caram and Jack Hawksworth, Gustavo Menezes, Austin Sindrick, who are all just incredible talents. 
They've got the new Acuras with Catherine Legg, Graham Rahal, Ryan Hunter Ray as part of their driver lineup. Oh, those Acuras are so gorgeous. Oh, oh my, my God. They're they're insane. They have so many Lamborghinis. They we have... are all... Che- like, you know what? I might even cheer for the 93, even though it's got Graham Rahal in it, just because Catherine Legg's in there and she was the MVP of last year's race. Oh, my God, <laughs> she was. And if you are a proponent of women in motorsport, you should be glad to know that not only is Catherine Legg going to be racing for Acura with a factory deal, possibly the best deal she's had in her racing career, but also in car number 63 for Scuderia Corsa, you have the first and only woman to win a major professional sports car title, Christina Nielsen. Dina Nielsen. Fielding, the, captaining that entry, which also has Alessandro Balzan, Matteo Cressoni, and the aforementioned Sam Bird, who is Bird just up. showing... Bird up! The best show on television, and possibly <laughs> your race winner in GT Daytona. Y'all, they've got a Forza livery Lamborghini. Yeah, they have a Forza oh, livery Lamborghini. It's oh, beautiful. Man. Oh, so that's where the oh, other... My. That's like, where, where's the 63 Ferrari? I was like, oh yeah, GTD. Yeah, this is um, this is without any absence of hyperbole. Um, it's going to be a fun race. Um, if you go out of your way to watch one endurance race that's not Le Mans, it's either going to be this one or it's going to be the Bathurst 12-hour next week. But since we don't have time to cover the Bathurst 12-hour... I will just say to make it a priority to listen to this on IMSA radio if you have the chance because it is live and free around the world. Um, If you have Fox Sports, um, they are streaming the entire event on their Fox Sports Go app, and they're kind enough to show the first three hours of the race on Fox on network television. Yeah. But if if you do live outside the great country that is the United States of America, you can watch you can watch the entire thing on IMSA.com. How dare you promote the United States on this show as this insubordination, I will not stand for this, but seriously, watch it on IMSA.com like I did last year. It's it's free. You don't have to feel guilty about watching it on totally legal sources. <laughs> it's all here, ready to go, just for you. Aren't like, guilty free, wholesome, like incredible racing with the one of the most stacked motorsport lineups you will see all year. And I was a complete novice to this series last year. I watched it because King and Kev told me to watch it. And it was a friggin' incredible spectacle. I absolutely loved it. Um, an incredible race. The Delta Wing was finally competitive. We mentioned it before, but Catherine Legg was was fantastic. Well, the real MVP of, of, of the race. Pipo Durrani was was outstanding in, in the El Patron car as well. And it was just such a f- incredibly fun race to watch. Just action up and down the field. And the finish with the two Corvettes at the end was just absolutely astonishing TV. Um, one of the races of the year, and just, I, again, I, I, I'm really excited for this. I know I didn't do a lot of the talking there, but it's just me still getting used to, to IMSA as a sport, as a sporting category, and I'm really, really excited for this, and like, I can't wait. I'm a big proponent of this series, and I'll tell you what, as somebody who was um, not really sure where the series was going to head after its first couple of races when... The old American Le Mans series and the old Grand Am series formed what is now the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Mm. I will say this in all sincerity. They have, from top to bottom, a more compelling product than the FIA World Endurance Championship. And that is saying something for what is a regional series as compared to an international top-level series like the WEC. 
please go out of your way to watch IMSA uh, if you can. If you can make the time for it, yes, I know that this is going to be the big event. This is the one that probably everybody's going to see and that some people will probably tune out for the rest of it. But y'all, some of the tracks they visit are, are fun. And even in some races where they don't have all the classes racing together, there's still some good entertainment. Yeah, without Absolutely. a doubt. Without a doubt. And especially, yeah, the, the, the calendar can be a bit front heavy with them basically doing the two, like the two biggest races on their calendar first. But um, like I said, I can't wait to get into it. For all those people that have been criticizing me saying, Dre, you don't watch enough outside motorsport series, well, here you are. I'm going to give him sort of a proper shot this season. So, none of you can get on me for this. <laughs> and please stop telling me to watch touring cars, for the love of God. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't to, to negotiate on this. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, I think, just about does it for this week's show. And this is the part where I normally get shot down and say, no, Dre, we've got to talk about this stuff. Um, no, King. Um, uh, we've got everything this time around. We're popped. We're we're done here. Like the, <laughs> the, 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 the only thing, like the only thing I could add is that Liberty's interested in having some other Formula One Grand Prix that don't take place on road courses but on street circuits. Yay! We'll talk about that properly next week. I think. I mean, because I think we'll, we'll probably do a show next week after IMSA finishes. Because hopefully there'll be a whole, there'll be so much to talk about from this amazing spectacle of a Grand Prix that we'll have to dedicate like an hour and a half to it. That that that's the plan. That's, that's the, the okay. That that that's the optimistic plan. You know, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait and see what happens. We'll wait and see what happens. But um, those of us have been asking, the mailbag will be back next episode as well. We 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 didn't have it in this one because we thought, God, this show's so stacked that we're going to um, we're not going to have time for it, and yet we actually got through it relatively quickly this time around, and we're not even at the one hour 50 mark yet. My apologies. But before we go, RJ, tell the good people about Super GT World. Hi, yes. Um, Super GT World is a website that I started up about, God, seven months ago. Um, we cover We cover primarily the super gt series there's not a whole lot of content going on because we're still in the middle of like silly season and drivers finding rides but if you want to find it it is at supergtworld.wordpress.com we are on twitter at supergtworld that's all one word um i'm trying to start up an instagram account although i don't know what to do with it necessarily um there is a lot of good content and i try to just make a lot of this information accessible because as, because there's not a whole lot of there's not a lot, a lot of publications that cover this series with the detail that I think it should. Yep, check check RJ stuff out there again. He's determined to get us into Super GT. Who knows? We may just find a way to make that happen. Um, and those guys have been asking about in the movie club as well. That is starting next month in February, where we we'll be kicking it off with Days of Fun. Though the three of us actually tested that out last week on a, 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 docu- a documentary of racing in the 20s it was it all worked very well indeed it was a rare f- almost flawless test of, <laughs> of software on this show which almost never happens so the fact that we even got that is a is a borderline miracle but that will be starting up in february as well as you know that other show we're planning to add just we, we, we already said what it was you can say oh, it y- Yes, we. Uh, it's more fun that way, King. Okay, <laughs> let let me promote. <laughs> yeah, Bike Live will be started up in February as well. So a big month for us coming up. It's going to be very exciting indeed. But um, just before we go, places you can find us: Facebook, YouTube, 
um, both at um, um, .com respectively slash Motorsport101, Motorsport101 on Twitter, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, at Harrison101HD, uh, as our individual Twitters. Of course, you can check everything out as well on, at uh, www.motorsport101.net. And if you really want to back us, you can give us your monies and we'll give you some cool stuff in exchange at some point. <laughs> and our, our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll, we'll hopefully be back maybe next week, if not week after at the latest. But until then, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been our RJ O'Connell and Ryan King. And thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. Later, y'all. Gordon better win this 24, man. <laughs> <laughs>